verses 16 to 26. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. And uh, if you've got your Bibles there, keep them open, or uh, whether it's in uh, paper form or um, by way of uh, some other technology, uh, it's good to have God's Word there with us. You know, one of the things that um, makes Christianity particularly unique or, uh, is, the, is um, <clears throat> the way we understand our faith, the Christian faith, is made clear to us through the Bible, through the Holy Scriptures. And, and the Bible is a, is a collection of uh, 66 different books and or letters, and they've been written to real people, real people in history living uh, in the same world that you and I are living in, certainly a very different time uh, of life, uh, you know, some 2,000 years ago, and in some cases, the first parts of the, the Old Testament, certainly uh, thousands of years prior to that. Um, but what makes Christianity unique is that these, these letters, this word that we have in the Bible, um, is grounded in history. Uh, that many of them are eyewitnessed events, particularly around the Gospels, the four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. The letters of which Galatians is one that we're looking at uh, were written to real churches. Uh, you can go to those places and see, see the ruins where uh, the people of God in small places gathered together uh, to worship, to, to, to receive these letters. Um, and uh, there's, there's no doubt as to that. Um, that's something that's validated in, in, in every single uh, university, ancient history uh, faculty departments, um, all testify to the historical nature of these, these texts. And what that means is that um, the Bible isn't a kind of book that shies away from uh, the ugliness and the confronting things in this life. And uh, some of you here, particularly parents, you've probably heard a list of things in that reading and you think, oh gosh, Chris, you know, it's, it's school holidays. Um, really? Uh, the kids are in here now. Now I've got a whole lot of things I've got to explain to my kids. I had no intention I wanted to. Look, relax. Um, they're only listening now because I've said something about them. Uh, prior to that, they probably didn't hear. But I just want to reassure you, we're not going to be going through this list exhaustively. I'm not here to tell stories about my experiences or other people's experiences and so on. Um, I understand it's school holidays. Um, but we are given a real uh, binary view, if you like, 
of life. There are two ways to live. There are two ways to live. And uh, some of you may be familiar with a, a very popular uh, Sydney-based evangelistic program called that, Two Ways to Live. And it often gets, um, uh, I guess, deemed today as something that's, you know, two ways to live. It's a little bit simplistic. Well, this is where we get it from. We get it from uh, God's Word that's been spoken into uh, countless lives of countless generations over the years in all sorts of cultures and contexts. And that's what it comes down to. There is a way to live by the Spirit, that is by God's way, God's presence. And there's a way to live not by the Spirit, and that is in our own strength, by the flesh. And we're going to unpack that a little bit this morning. Two ways to live. Two options with, with no middle ground. Uh, something that may be unpopular today, but is in God's wisdom, uh, plain and simple for those with ears to hear. Let's pray. Let's ask God for ears to hear this morning. Father, we want to thank you for your word. I thank you uh, for its reliability. We thank you that uh, um, above and beyond all other religions and spiritualities, your word is grounded in real life in this world. Your word testifies to something remarkable, this, the, the, um, the, uh, the, the, the living word putting on flesh in the person of Jesus, the word that exists outside of time, something profoundly spiritual, puts on flesh and enters into our world in real time and space and is witnessed to and testified to. And Father, by your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ that has been left here amongst us, we ask this morning that you would speak to us through your word. Give us ears to hear, soft hearts uh, that are to be opened, give us humility, and most of all, give us a reassurance of your amazing, immeasurable love, grace, compassion, and mercy. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So very quickly, Paul is uh, writing this letter uh, to churches in the region of Galatia. Uh, many scholars believed it was uh, like most of the letters, they were sort of written and given to churches with the idea that they would be read out for a time and then they'd pass them on to the next church uh, in their area and they'd continue to read the message. And, and the story of um, the churches in Galatia is that uh, Jewish Christians, well-meaning Jewish Christians, uh, that is those uh, of God's uh, Old Testament people, the Israelites, who had come to faith, they'd recognised that yes, Jesus... It does seem to be ticking all the boxes of God's promised Messiah, their king. And so they've, they've uh, given their allegiance to him. They've recognized that he is the Messiah, that he's uh, their Messiah, their king, but also now the world's Messiah and one true Lord. Um, but some of them, as time's kind of starting to wane a little bit after Jesus has come and died and resurrected and then gone back to be with the Father, some of them have got a little bit tired and they've kind of gone, well, you know, I can't see the Spirit. I can't see, you know, Jesus has gone. Um, feeling a little bit, we're sort of floundering a little bit here. We're not a popular um, group in our community. This is certainly uh, way more so back in the time that this letter was written. And so they start to want to go back to the Old Testament. They start saying, well, we've got a, you know, there's, we've got new people now coming into our, our synagogues, our, our churches. Uh, and they're not, they're not Jews. They're, they're Gentiles. They're pagans. And yes, I get that the Messiah's for them, but gee, they, they live completely different to us. And we've got, to, we've got to bring some law and order back into this. We've got to straighten this out. And we've got to go back to the Old Testament and make sure these new Christians uh, 
know what it is to keep God's laws. They're really important. And the litmus test uh, for the the particular issue for this church was that of uh, circumcision, a very significant, meaningful um, symbol, outward symbol for the Jewish community at the time, over many centuries, it was a sign uh, that indicated their, their difference, their point of difference to the rest of the world, their relationship with God, a relationship they had through following the law. And Paul the Apostle writes to them and he says, stop, stop what you're doing. Do not do this. Do not go back. The, the, the law will not and cannot save you in and of itself. And uh, he actually says those that are teaching this, those well-meaning Jewish Christians that are coming in here, they are false teachers and they are false messengers and they have a false message. That's what he says. That's what we looked at last week. It's right throughout the letter. Uh, he summarizes that there in chapter 5 in the first half. And he, he sends his whole letter to, to these Christians directly speaking against uh, uh, the re-bringing into, the reintroduction of the law and in particular the physical Uh, symbol of circumcision he says you won't be free in christ if you do this Uh, you're actually going to be a slave again to the law only the spirit only the spirit of christ the spirit of god living in his community will bring freedom and paul's crystal clear because of everything that jesus christ has done on the cross this is what uh, fulfills the law in his life and this has been done for us um, his resurrection Uh, this gift of his spirit, uh, the one and the same God, by the way, um, there was a completely, now there's a new way of living, a completely new way of living, a life for which both Jews and Gentile Christians alike are called to. So I say, he, he says to them in verse 16, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit, what is contrary to the flesh, that these things are not compatible, and there's two of them. They're in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. You'll notice these two ways of living mentioned here, the way of the flesh and the way of the spirit. And these are the only two ways that Paul describes here. And they're the only two ways that all people live by. If you're in Jesus Christ, if you've come to faith in Jesus and you, you recognise who he is then, then, and, and you've responded to that in trust and faith, then you receive his spirit and, and you're called to, to live by that spirit. For everyone else, and that includes all of us before we were in Christ, um, the only other way to live life is by ourselves. So no matter who you are, you're either living your life according uh, to the flesh, that is, you're living life according to your own desires, um, your own rules... And in your own strength, your own capacity uh, to express those desires, your own capacity to live by those rules. Or you're living life according to the Holy Spirit. That is, according to God's desires um, that that are made known and revealed and that uh, come to bear in our lives through his spirit that guides us. Um, We're we're living not by uh, his rules or our rules, we're living by his grace the fulfilment of his rules in the person of Jesus. And we're doing this in his strength. In our weakness, God is made strong in us. They're the, they're the two ways. So we're going to have a look at these two ways so we can perhaps um, take a moment to, in this space, identify um, in our own lives uh, this very real struggle that we still live with, all of us, between these two ways to live. First of all, the flesh. Put simply, what is the flesh? Well, it's simply um, our sinful nature. It's actually our, our, our raw human nature, which is a broken one. 
It, it's brokenness, human brokenness. It's weak. It's so easily lured by all sorts of things that sparkle and, and not. Um, uh, it's tempted, and we all know what that's like to be tempted uh, by the evil one, the evil one who himself has rebelled against God and who we chose to follow, our ancestors, through Adam and Eve. And This is our default condition as human beings. This is what is foundational to Christian doctrine. All of us are, are born into this. We don't have a choice. Uh, there is some teaching, and some people believe it, um, quite sincerely that um, we're all born actually sinless and quite innocent and uh, we, we, learn, we learn to be bad, we pick it up along the way which means you just hope that you get in a good family that doesn't expose you to bad and if you're exposed to enough good you'll just continue to be a good person, kind of. Well, That's not what the Bible teaches. The, the, the Bible and Christianity makes it very clear that all of us are born into this, this fallen and broken condition as human beings. Humanity, the Bible actually says, is by nature enemies of God. We're actually under his wrath. You know, if anyone can be, have an enemy and be wrathful about it, it's the perfect God, right? Who knows who's against him and who's for him. And the Bible makes it clear that God looks at humanity that he created. We're his image bearers, make no mistake, we were created in his image, but that image has been marred irreversibly. And it's distorted. You know, if you ever wonder why you see such bad things happening in the world, it's so easy for us to say, oh, that's only happening because there's bad people in the world. And even subliminally, we say, oh, at least I'm not like that, I'm not that bad. You know, every single one of us have the capacity and capability to be as bad as the worst of us. That's what it means to be in the human condition, and that's what it means to live by the flesh. Um, uh, Paul uh, says it himself in Romans chapter 7, verse 19, that there's a struggle with the flesh. We're all aware of it. He says this in, um, in, in chapter 7, verse 19. He says, For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. It's a great passage. You should look it up because he uh, fleshes it out a little bit more. For I, I do not do the good that I want to do. So we all know there's good to do, but we somehow, we, 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 we struggle to do it, right? Or we do a little bit of it and then get proud and self-righteous about it. Um, however, evil seems to come naturally to us, doesn't it? The evil I do not want to do, this I just keep on doing. We're on this trajectory. That's our human struggle. We're incapable of defeating our flesh and so we need help. And, uh, you know, the whole self-help movement uh, that many of us um, would be aware of today, because we're, we're all aware of it, There's, this isn't a new thing to Christianity. Everyone knows that we need help, right? The industry thrives, the self-help industry. The trouble with that industry is that the problem is giving you the solution to try and help your problem. When we look to one another to help us, or to the best of us, the ones who can achieve and do great things, when we look to them and say, oh, I've just got to model my life off them or do what they're doing and I'll become good... We're looking at the same problem to try and fix the problem and it's not going to work. We need help outside of our own uh, capabilities. Of course, the good news is that in Jesus Christ, who was both fully God and fully man, we can know the forgiveness of those sins, the forgiveness of that, that struggle, that trajectory, that propensity, uh, to be broken people, and to be those who live by the flesh. He's, uh, he's put to death uh, those things on the cross, which we'll look at in a moment, and he's given us this new life. 
And, and so, so that's what overcomes the flesh. And that's the other way that we are called to live. We're all by default living by the flesh, but we're called to live by the Spirit. So Paul calls this life of the Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit being the third person of the Trinity, our God, the Christian God, uh, is one God, one being, who exists in three persons. Don't ask me to explain it, and anyone who, tells, who tries to explain it to you usually does a reasonably poor job of it. This is something that is mysterious, it's miraculous, because it's of God, right? And, um, and if we could understand it, well then, we'd be dangerously close to becoming like him, wouldn't we? Uh, but we accept it. We believe that God has revealed himself, the one true God, only one God, but he's revealed himself in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, God living in a real human, and God the Holy Spirit. And that's who Paul talks about here when he calls us to live a life in the Spirit, God himself living inside us, who gives us this new way of life, and, and, and who works in us to produce some fruit, good fruit, in our lives. And that's the clear take-home message. If you forget anything this morning, remember this, in these verses, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. If you know Jesus, if you've come to Jesus, or if you're curious still about Jesus, there is a way that you can live freely, true freedom, but walking by the Spirit. We've done with walking by the flesh. We do that by default. We're all experts at it. Every single one of us has a master's degree or a first-class honours degree in living by the flesh. We're naturals at it. And Paul says, when you come to Jesus, walk by the Spirit. Verse 17 points out uh, that these two lifestyles um, are not compatible. They are completely uh, opposed to each other. They actually are a contradiction. There is no middle ground. You can't be walking a little bit with the Spirit and still dabbling and living by the flesh, although many of us um, try to. Um, we can't follow the Spirit in one half of our life and then let the flesh uh, run wild in the other. It doesn't work that way, nor, nor does trying to follow the rules um, in your own self-discipline and strength either. That doesn't cut it either. That's not a, like a middle ground option, as if all we need to do is, is legislate uh, against our fleshly desires. You may remember from, from last Sunday, if you were here, and uh, earlier on in the rest of the, uh, the letter written to the Galatians here, that, that, the, that God gave his people the laws. And he gave them those laws so that they would know his standard, that they would know his holiness, his character. But pretty soon they discovered that it was impossible to keep. Or as Paul puts it in another great letter, he wrote to the churches in, in Rome, in, uh, in Romans chapter 8, verse 3, he says the law was actually weakened by the flesh. What does that mean? He simply means it didn't work, it didn't do what it was supposed to do or what we thought it was going to do. It's not strong enough to control or overcome those desires of the flesh. And it still isn't. So law-keeping's not the solution. Do not go back to that, pleads Paul. But here's some more good news. In verse 18, uh, we discover that, that if we do live by the Spirit, we by default end up fulfilling the law. Uh, I've had some great conversations during the week with, with a number of people um, from last Sunday's message. Because this is, this is a, a, a wonderful chapter and it's been a real blessing just focusing again and spending some time, well, it's been confronting too, um, uh, in, in this, in this uh, the tail end of this letter. But the good news is that someone shared with me that, um, that, that they, they, it sort of clicked for them. They said, oh, yeah, so our, our desire to keep the law, we know pleases God, right? 
So we want to please God. So that's why we look at it. That's why people, you know, when I made a statement last Sunday about you shouldn't have to, you don't have to remember the Ten Commandments kind of thing. Well, I stand by it. But um, the reason why we want to remember the Ten Commandments is because we think if we can just lock that down, we've got a chance at being good. And, and, but what happens? We, we start ticking the boxes and we start going, well, I've got that one, I've got that one. Never, never broken that one, never broken that one. And, and we're back to doing things in our own strength. And the good news is that when we focus on the Spirit, that is a relationship with, with God himself through Jesus Christ, as one and the same God who lives in us, if we, if we walk with him, if we're in relationship with him, we, we, we don't even have to think about the law because, and we don't even stop to look up and realise, but inadvertently we will be fulfilling it. Because we, we, we want to live by him. We're living in his power and his strength. He's our focus. He's the fulfilment of the law. And so we, by default, will keep the law. Well, where does Paul go to next? Well, he goes on to describe what both of these two lives look like. So first of all, he gives us a list of words to describe the fruit of the flesh, for want of a better term. Just to recap from verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious, and he rattles off that whole list of things that every single one of us know exactly what they mean. I don't need to explain them to you or outline them to you or illustrate them to you. You know what they are. And Paul says, I give you this warning in verse 21, just as I have before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's really hard-hitting. It's a hard-hitting list and it's a confronting um, ultimatum that's been given at the end or a reminder and Paul knows uh, that we know what this stuff is as well they're obvious to us and they're obvious to others I certainly know them in my own life I know exactly what they're like but Paul writes here and for a specific reason he deliberately calls out these things so that we might be confronted we might be confronted with the ugly and confronting truth about who we are outside of Christ, who we are as those who are living life according to the flesh. There seems to be four categories you could, you could group these in. There's um, sexual sins, and uh, we, we know about this kind of stuff today because um, our world's telling us that, <clears throat> the, that Christianity and religion got it wrong and that we overly fuss about this sort of thing. And yet we continue to... Our news is filled, isn't it, with people that... Uh, are abused uh, in, in this area. Why? Because we live our lives according to the flesh. God, God knew this. <laughs> it ought to be new. And when we get clever and start saying, no, this isn't really a struggle, we need to stop talking about it, we just need to freely express ourselves, we still find that we damage others and ourselves in the process. So sexual sins. The other category is religious sins. That is, just looking in all the wrong places for that fulfilment that only God can provide, the one who created us. Uh, and the other area is, is in our relationships, the envy and bickering and discord and disunity and all those kinds of things. And then the fourth category would be sins of excess. You know, good things that God has created and given to us, but we just don't know how to do it right. <laughs> you know, um, we get obsessed with certain things and, you know, everything's good. God, God created everything good. And, and even the things that, that, that we continue to create as his creation beings, uh, you know, different technologies and things we come up with, well, they're all, they're all good except for the human flesh, right? And our inability um, to understand them and, uh, and to enjoy them with restraint or enjoy them, enjoy them, enjoy them as they're meant to be. 
I want to encourage you this morning, that list, as you've heard it read and as you're perhaps recalling it now, that you would take a moment maybe later today or sometime this week. I've been uh, looking at it all week in my own life. It's, it's worth doing it. Yes, yes it's, it's confronting and yes, it's ugly, but it's important. It's designed for us to, to look at that and ask ourselves a question. Have a, ta- have a closer look. Where, in what areas, where, where might it be that I'm still struggling with this or worse still that I've stopped struggling with it? And I'm just accepting things in my life. Well, well, that's the natural way of life. And that's the first list that Paul looks at. The second list is the good news. And that's, uh, little doubt, this is the most important this morning. And that is the fruit of the Spirit. And he gives those beautiful words. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience or forbearance, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And you know the good news? Against these things, there's no law. So no one's stopping you doing these (laughs) or or living by these. There is no law that stands in the way of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Aren't they beautiful words? Can you imagine a world that we could live in if everyone just, just did half of these all the time consistently? That's the kind of world we want. Everyone wants to bear this kind of fruit in their life. Everyone wants that kind of rattle off as maybe at your, at your own funeral. Wouldn't you love for your eulogy to say, oh, how do we describe this person? And we just rattle off those words. We well, you know all of them revolve around the first, the category of, of love. It can be summed up as a description of love. Notice too, um, it's an interesting one. Uh, Paul doesn't call them fruits because they're multiple, right? But he just calls all of them together singularly as fruit. Which kind of means that none of us can say, oh, well, I'm just an impatient person, just the way I've sort of been made, or I've just got a short fuse, or I just get really caught up in stuff and just lose a bit of self-control. But the rest of them, that, that's, I've still got this one, and I've got that one, and I'm not bad at that one, and I'm working on this one. It's, it's not about dividing them up. It's, this is the life in the spirit. It's evidenced in this collection of fruit. So walk by the spirit. Walk by the spirit and God promises the fruit will start to grow in our lives. But it doesn't just come naturally. That, that's what Paul's trying to get at here. It's why the scriptures, are, I, I, love, I love God's word because it's so real. It acknowledges that there is a struggle and there will always be a struggle in this. If you're struggling in this, uh, you are not alone, which we'll get to in just a moment. These, these aren't just aspirational goals. They're not things that you just put up on the wall and, and try to achieve like a new law. They're, they're fruit that comes out of a relationship with the God who dwells within you and who produces them in and through us. And we're going to make mistakes because we're going to fall back into our, our hot-headed fleshliness, um, what's easy and what comes natural to it. Walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Never perfect, never without a struggle and battle. But this is the kind of life that we will know fully and completely and wholeheartedly in the new creation. When, when Jesus returns, when he, when he brings uh, order and restoration back to his broken, uh, sin-sick world where he brings justice once and for all through his son, the Lord Jesus, and, 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 and the kingdom is, is, is ushered in fully and completely and wholly. That's when we will be only living 
with this fruit as evidence. Don't you look forward to that day? I heard an amen down here. It's beautiful, isn't it? What a, what a day to look forward to. Galatians chapter 5, verse 24 to 25. Those um, who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Some of you may have had question and you think, well, this sounds all very simple, Chris. Just choose this and over that. And How do we do it? How do we actually do it? How do we walk by the Spirit? Well, we crucified the flesh. It's pretty brutal, isn't it? Pretty definite. Paul says that those who belong to Christ have already had their flesh crucified. It's been crucified along with its passions and its desires. And it's obvious why Paul would use the word crucify here when he's referring, obviously, to Jesus' crucifixion. It's to remind us of what Jesus did for us which we couldn't do for ourselves. His death, it's, it's his resurrection from death in which he achieved the forgiveness of our sins, of the flesh, putting that life-sapping condition to death. That's what Jesus did on the cross. And it reminds us that, that we have a part to play in that as we continue to walk in the Spirit. It reminds us of Jesus' words that for those who want to follow him, what does he say? Take up your cross daily and follow me. He's referencing to his own work on the cross as well. Part of our daily practice as Christian people is to put our sinful passions and desires on his cross, recognising that that's where they belong. That's where they belong. Right from the minute we feel tempted to do something that indulges the flesh. Instead, pause, capture it, Nail it back to the cross of Christ. That's what it means to walk in the Spirit. Uh, there's another thing we can do too, and that is uh, to just to guard our hearts and our minds, to guard our hearts and minds as Christian people, not to set up a list of things that people can't do and should be doing and then try and impose it on everyone. That's not what we do. It's about ourselves, guarding our own hearts as Christians, being careful what we're feeding our hearts, being careful what we're exposing our minds to. The reason is sometimes why it's so hard to resist temptation is that we keep on feeding this life of the flesh and in so doing we make it strong again which allows no room for the spirit to bear his fruit in our lives. Uh, Paul, this is a common theme for him as he writes these letters to the church as he writes to the church in Philippi in Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 he says finally brothers and sisters whatever's true Whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And so we need to ask ourselves, what do I watch? What do I listen to? Uh, and this isn't, again, to set up a rule. Some people can actually have capacity to watch a whole lot of different things. Others, just, it's just not good for them to watch particular things. And we've got to work that out and respect one another as we make those choices together, as we walk in the spirit together. What, 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 is, what do you let your mind think about? What, what do, you, what, what, do you capture thoughts? The scriptures talk about capturing thoughts that get into circles and ruts and just keep fulfilling, filling our minds and going over and over in our minds. Be sure to be feeding the life of the spirit. He will help you. He will help you with whatever it is that you, you're tempted by, whatever it is you might struggle with, 
he'll help you until that sin is something that no longer has slavery over you. Uh, I want to acknowledge, as I've said before, and I know um, some people think differently on this, and, and that's okay. We'll, we'll definitely know either way, one way or another at the end, won't we? And, and, it's, and it's really not important. It's not, it's not critical. But we will always struggle with temptation. We will always struggle with sin. It, it's actually the ongoing intentional habit, the practice of, 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 of habitually sinning that Paul's condemning here in verse 21. The reality is there will be times when we will sin out of weakness. No one's without sin. The, the Bible says that in John's, uh, one of John's letters at the end of the New Testament, he says that if anyone says they're without sin, they're actually lying, right? So, so it's, it's, it's a pretty clear um, that, that we will continue to struggle with sin. So the question perhaps we can ask more specifically of ourselves is this, what have I tuned out to? What do I no longer struggle with? That, that's the dangerous one, the one that you go, oh, that's okay, I'm at peace with that. Have you, put, have you, have you made peace with a particular sin? That, that's, that's, that's a dangerous place to be in. So ask God to highlight that in your heart and in your life. Crucify it, put it to death, where it's already been taken care of by Jesus in his death. And church, don't ever forget that none of us are alone in this. Often we think of this quite individualistically, first of all, because we don't want everyone knowing what sins of the flesh that we indulge in, right? Um, but we, we, we tend to get, we, t- we think we're alone or we think, no, if, oh man, if people found out, if someone knew, if I just can't, that, that, that's not the, the life we're called to. We're called to live this life walking in the spirit together in community. You're not alone. We don't just walk alone with the spirit, we walk together with the spirit. And recognising that other believers will have struggles too. You know, um, Paul talks elsewhere in the scriptures about confessing your sins to one another. And usually that, that's when you've done something wrong to someone or someone's done something, you know, you actually work it out between yourselves. Um, but it's also just meant to be par and, part and parcel of, of, of Christian community. We say, I'm really struggling this week with this thing. Not you don't tell the whole church, but you, you, you tell people within you, you're in, you're in a group, you're, in, you're connected in relationship. And you pray for one another, because the minute you've confessed it, you've brought it into the light, um, you've you've diffused it by 80%, that's just a guess, Um, but you make it a lot easier, then you're now in accountability, you've got a a, a brother or a sister that loves you and just says, hey, a couple of months' time, whatever, a couple of weeks' time, how are you going, how how are things going? Um, You know it's out there, you're now accountable and you you can continue to walk more strongly in the Spirit. It's another one of those one another verses in the Bible. And don't forget, as we close, where we ended off uh, last week in verse 13 from Galatians chapter 5. There's another thing we can be doing too. As much as it's important to reflect and to, to, to evaluate and to ask the Spirit to highlight areas that need working on in your life, sins that need crucifying or a reminder that they are crucified, we can also take our minds off ourselves and make ourselves busy with serving others. <coughs> By love, serve one another, Galatians 5 verse 13. Sometimes we can get so bogged down with despair about our struggles, right? About our failures, even as Christians, uh, that our minds become consumed with what? With ourselves again. And, and, uh, and that, that's not going to end well for anyone. We become self-focused. And chapter 5 in its entirety reminds us to get our minds off ourselves, to, 
to, to be, we're free in Christ to love and serve others or to serve others by love. And ultimately, the Spirit wants to lead us into a life that is Christ-like and therefore others-focused. Christ was others-focused. He wasn't focused on himself. He gave up his rights as God. He laid down his life for those that didn't deserve it, his enemies. He wasn't thinking of himself. He was thinking of others. And so if we're to be like him and we're free in him, we need to be putting time and energy into loving and serving someone else. The quickest way to replace a bad habit is to make a good one. This is just getting pragmatic now, but it's helpful. The quickest way to replace a bad habit is to make a new good one. Make someone a meal. Catch up with someone that you know is struggling. Welcome a new person. Get to know someone that you haven't previously met before or haven't known all that well. Call someone with a word of encouragement. Write a thank you note. Volunteer. Step up and, and, and do something that just helps our church life as we gather each week and in between as we do life together. Or perhaps even just being available to help others with your talents and time. I know this church, I see a lot of fruit and I hear stories all the time. And um, We do well, we can always do better, but we do well as a church. Keep doing that. Keep doing that. Love is the fulfilment of all things. So let's start doing that. Well, let's pray. Father, in these moments today, we come before you, we thank you again for your word. We just acknowledge that you do call us to take up our cross, to follow your son, Jesus. And we do that um, not so that we would become self-righteous or proud of our efforts. We do that in response to the enormous weight of the cross that he took up where he bore the sins of not only us as individuals, but our collective sins as a human race. Father, that's unimaginable, the burden that he bore for all of us. We thank you, Jesus, that you have paid the price for our sins. You've given your very blood, your innocent blood, for those who were guilty. Father, we thank you for the reminder that you remove those sins as far as the east is from the west. And you, you do this by the power of Christ's resurrection. We thank you again for the invitation to look to you, to focus our hearts and minds on your spirit who lives within us. And we know that you are always there as a heavenly father with arms wide open, welcoming, affirming, gathering around us and embracing us when we turn from our ways and seek to continue to live lives that please you, not in our strength, but in the strength of your spirit. We pray as we go from this place that you would strengthen us to continue to do this, uh, that you give us the courage to face things that perhaps we've avoided or we try and deal with secretly and quietly on our own, but to lay claim to the power of the gospel that is in Jesus Christ. We ask this so that your kingdom may grow in this place, in and through us as your people. Amen.